Good morning, everyone. You know how I know it's Mother's Day? I'm not wearing an X-Men t-shirt up here. Mom thought it would be a better idea to look nice, so. Glad y'all are all here. Glad we get to celebrate Mother's Day together for a little bit before we all go and eat way too much. Um, Something Rusty was talking about when he was praying a minute ago right after worship was, you know, giving Lord, the Lord, your, your conviction, repenting, and walking out of here, you know, a little bit different. And uh, it's something I like to call the great exchange. A few weeks ago, I got to speak at Ground Zero, and I told them, if I came in and I said, hey, um, I'm going to give you a burger from the concession stand, but you're going to have to give me $50 first instead of the normal $2, no one would make that deal. These kids would go and yell at Rusty, and Rusty would come and yell at me, and it would not work out, right? But somehow, Jesus does that for us. If you are willing to give him all your junk this morning, he gives you his yoke. It's, it's an unbalanced exchange, but it's a beautiful one. And that's not what I'm preaching about, but I felt led to share that. So uh, we're actually going to be in 2 Kings chapter 4 this morning. And uh, a few weeks ago in prayer, the Lord was kind of leading me along, and I, I was just taking notes about, you know, some things that I, I felt heavy on my heart, some things I was praying about for me and for family and friends. And uh, he brought an old word back to my mind. And uh, this isn't the first time I've preached on a Mother's Day. Uh, I used to attend the Methodist church here in town and they would let me preach, you know, some holiday. And the first holiday I ever preached was a Mother's Day and I didn't understand it because Vicky and I talked about it. I'm like, hey, I'm a single guy. (laughs) Um, I, I, I don't know why I need to talk about Mother's Day. But funny enough, the Lord gave me a story straight out of his word that really spoke to me that morning or in preparation for that morning. So as he brought it back to my mind, I reread it and some new stuff came out. And when it came out, I just, I was like, I have to share this. It ministered to my heart and ministered to my life. And I'm like, people, I think people need to hear this. So I asked um, Pastor Rusty if I could preach and here I am. So thank you all for joining me. And we will be starting in verse eight. And something the Lord wants to speak to this morning is not just mothers, in the natural, spiritual mothers. If you don't have your own children, if you're waiting for children, if your children have left the home, and whatever that looks like, if, if you are just you know, a foster parent or a legal guardian, if you've nurtured someone's spirit in some way, you, you've prayed for them, you've worshiped with them, you've brought them to church, you've led them to some place where God's presence is, you're very much a spiritual mother as well. And I think it's important we understand that because this morning the Lord told me there are two types of spiritual mothers and, and women of faith that he's wanting to speak to. And the first half of this story, um, we talk about the, those who are waiting for the Lord to show up. You're in that season where you, you, you don't know what's going on, you don't know where you're being led, and you just need the Lord to show up. So we start in verse 8, we encounter a Shunammite woman. That's all she is. She's never given a name. She's just kind of a blurb in the middle of this chapter. And the thing about Shunammites is they were considered Israelites. So at this point, she's living in her own land. um, And she's just, it says she's a prominent woman. So it goes, verse 8, now there came a day when Elisha passed over to Shunamm, where there was a prominent woman, and she persuaded him to eat food. 
the first mom thing she does is feed him. If, if that, I mean, it's that simple right there. Here's Elisha, who's a great prophet. If you don't know who he is, his, he was mentored by Elijah, another old school prophet. When Elijah ascends to, into heaven, he does not die. The Bible doesn't say he dies. It just says he ascends into heaven. Elisha says, hey, God, this guy was showing me who you are. So I want a double portion of the gifts you gave him. And I want to do your work. So at this point, he's just running all over the countryside doing God's work. And for whatever reason, this prominent woman, prominent means well off. She probably didn't have a lot of problems in her life because she was prominent. Decides, hey, you should come have a meal here. And so it was, as often as he passed by, he turned in there to eat food. This is that spiritual mother part. Again, if you've, if you've just offered a meal to someone, it, it can be a lot different if you let the Lord work in it. So verse 9, sorry. So as I continued, she said to her husband, Behold now, I perceive that this is a holy man of God passing by us continually. Please let us make a little walled up chamber and let us set a bed for him there and a table and a chair and a lampstand. And it shall be when he comes to us that he can turn in there. It's kind of random, but this is that first part of what I think the Lord wants to minister to you. Because she not only wants to feed this man, now she's saying, hey, she tells her husband, this, this, this is a man of God. He's got the presence of the Lord in him. There's a gift working in him. Let, let's let him sleep here. But more so, you know what? Let's build him a room, a chamber. And don't worry about just putting a bed. I, I want a desk and a lamp. She wants him to study there. The Lord is asking and telling you to nurture his presence because that's what she's doing. She may not understand what she's doing right now in this moment in verse 10. But there is something the Lord is, is moving her to and she feels it and she says, how do we nurture this? How do I grow this? How do I make sure that what is supposed to happen here, what he has in him shows up in my home, in my life? Church, we have to nurture the spirit of the Lord. Amen? You have to put things aside, not just time. You know, I think I spoke about it Thursday. That there was a movie a few years ago called War Room. And this elderly woman turned a closet and just covered it in sticky notes and, and papers and other things. And that was her prayer room. She would go in and she would get on her knees and she would war for the things she was asking for. This is that same concept. In the Old Testament of all places, in the middle of the Old Testament of all places, there is a capacity in us to nurture the spirit of the Lord, but we have to, to make time for it. We actually, she's actually building him a room. I laugh because when I, I got the house I live in now, um, again, I'm a single 36-year-old man, and I got the ability to buy this massive house. And I joked with people because I said, I only use the kitchen, the bathroom, and the main, my main bedroom. The other three bedrooms just go unused, unchecked. And for the longest time, I would be like, Lord, what am I doing here? Like, am I supposed to just start an Airbnb or a bed and breakfast, something? Like, I have so much room. And, of course, then that story hits, and it's like, well, how many of those rooms could be filled with the presence of the Lord? 
how much space has the Lord given me to say, hey, you know, I'd like to occupy a little more space in your life. So we continue. It says, one day he came there, Elisha, and turned into the upper chamber and rested. Then he said to his servant, Gehazi, call the Shunammite. And when he had called her, she stood before him. He said to him, say now to her. So funny little note with that said, Elisha and this woman did not speak the same language. They didn't understand each other. They had to communicate through the servant. And I, I didn't realize that at first. I thought it was just kind of formality, a cultural thing like, oh, the prophet can't speak to this woman directly. But a lot of, of the scholars interpret that as they did not communicate the same way. Yet somehow she still wanted to feed him and still wanted to nurture him and have him sleep in her home and in, in a room she built specifically for him, which is that's pretty funny for me. So he said to him, say now to her, behold, you've been careful for us with all this care. What can I do for you? Would you be spoken for to the king or to the captain of the army? So back then, the Israelites were really used to just being in captivity. They were used to not being in their own homeland. And often if a prophet did something great, a prophet would gain favor with that king or with that, that culture. And so when the Lord showed up, it's like, hey, you know, since we've got the presence of the Lord now, we've got the favor of God in a foreign land, you know, we can, get, we can ask for things from the king or the, the army if we need protection or, or if we need a, a justice for something. And she answered simply, I live among my own people. Moms very rarely ask for help. And that is, I mean, that's biblical right there at that point. Here's a prophet of God, the spirit that she's nurtured, and God himself is asking through this prophet, what can I do for you? And she's like, ah, I'm good. I, I live among my own people. I'm prominent. I don't really have any cares. I'm good. So it's funny because then the servant comes in and he points out, uh, it, it goes on, 14. So he said, what is it to be done for her? And Gehazi, the servant, answered, truly she has no son and her husband is old. The, the Lord's heart, God's heart has always been for mothers in the natural, in the spiritual. You get this example when Jesus is on the cross. He's suffering. He's, he's nearing the end. The sacrificial lamb is about to finally, you know, it's coming full circle. And the Bible talks about how there's a brief moment where he looks up and looking up's not easy when you're on the cross. Your weight's bearing down on you. He still looked up and he saw his mother weeping. And in that moment, he was less focused on himself, on his torture, on things. And he was concerned for his mother because culturally, the women didn't really work back then. You weren't allowed really to earn money as much as a man in that culture. Social security wasn't a thing. So often the mothers, the women who were widowed would fall back to the son-in-law, sons if they had them. That was their backup plan. That was their security, financially, physically. And Jesus looks at Mary and he looks at the, uh, John, the disciple, and says, Mother, gaze upon your son. Son, gaze upon your mother. That should let you know how important mothers are to God. So here we are, no less a servant in the Old Testament before that even happens. Says to Elisha, hey, she doesn't have any kids. 
and her husband's old. If her husband dies unexpectedly here pretty quick, she's kind of at a loss. She didn't know she had this need in her life because it says just a few words before, I live in my, amongst my own people. I'm okay. Yet God detected that need in her life. This is why it's important for you to nurture the presence of the Lord. That first group that the Lord wants to speak to this morning. There is a need you may not know you have in your life. Maybe it's physical, maybe it's financial, maybe it's spiritual. It's in your marriage, it's in your heart, it's in your mind. And we're, we're really used to sometimes just kind of, hey, as long as none of my limbs are falling off and I'm not broke, everything's okay. Almost like we get scared to ask the Lord. But if you nurture that presence, that presence starts to search your life. It starts to search your heart, your spirit. And the more you nurture it, the more the spirit communicates and says, hey, I've noticed there's some places where you're lacking. And lacking is not necessarily a bad thing. But I, w- I want to fill that void. I want to meet that need. Here it came through the servant pointing it out. So then Elisha says, call her. And when he called her, she stood in the doorway. And then he said, All this season, or at this season next year, you will embrace a son. And in usual human interaction with the Lord, when the Lord gives you a promise, especially one you didn't know you needed, her exact words were, No, my Lord, O man of God, do not lie to your maidservant. Don't mess with me. Don't lie to me. Come on, you're joking, right? My mom uh, asked the Lord for my salvation when I was nine years old. She started going to church. She found the Lord. My sister followed easily. I was a little more stubborn. Nine years she prayed for my salvation. I didn't find the Lord till I was 18. I can't imagine that space of nine years waiting for that to happen. When she was, uh, we were at church one day and she still, um, one of the members of the Methodist Church years ago, when I first started going there, I introduced myself, gave a little bit of my testimony. He came up to me after and he said, so you had a drug problem? I was like, sir, when did I ever mention I had a drug problem? Like, <laughs> like I've never done that at all, ever, I promise. Like, like I, I kind of got a little offended, like, sir, do you know me? He said, yeah, your mom drug you to church every Sunday. I was like, ah, there it is, yeah. Yeah, I definitely had a drug problem then, if that's the case. We were sitting in the kitchen at the church one year, and I, by this time, my atheism was like full on. I was like, I'm smarter than everybody, and I'm better than everybody. That's what atheism roots in, it's pride. And uh, she said, you know what? I'm going to pray you become a preacher and a pastor. And I got so furious. I'm standing in this kitchen, my ears turned red, and you could just tell. And I told her, I said, you do that, I'm going to worship the devil. Guess who won? (laughs) So we're sitting here, and she says, don't lie to me. How can you say I'm going to have a son? My husband's old. You know, we have no need. We're fine. Verse 17, the woman conceived and bore a son at that season the next year, as Elijah has said to her. Do not mistake the promise of the Lord. Do not mistake his presence. His timing is perfect. He's never early. He's never late. He's never wrong. I'm living proof standing up here. It's, it's great. 
This is fantastic. I, I genuinely love sharing the gospel with people, and I had no idea this was something I would do. So we go into the next part. Her story is not over, thankfully. The word is complete, so your promise has been given. And you know what? You nurtured the presence of the Lord. He spoke to you. He gave you what you needed. He put you on a firm foundation, plucked you out of the muck and mire. And now you're standing here, and the promise is getting harder. Verse 18. When the child was grown, the day, the day came that he went out to his father, to the reapers. He said to his father, my head, my head. And he said to his servant, carry him to his mother. When he had taken him and brought him to his mother, he sat on her lap until noon and then died. She went up and laid him on the bed of the man of God and shut the door behind him and went out. Tragedy strikes as it does on this earth. Kurt says it all the time. God is good, the devil is bad, the world is broken. We are not immune to tragedy in this church. God wants so desperately to keep us from that, but because he's given us sovereign will, because the devil walks about like a roaring lion, things happen. And as humans, we can, we can react much differently in the flesh than in the spirit. And there's no greater example than in verse, uh, is it 22? Or sorry, 21. Her son dies in her arms. The promise that God gave her, that God gave her years before. It says he was grown by this time. They don't know his age. But grown means he was able to understand life, death, sin, rebellion. Dies in her arms. And her first reaction is, I've got to go back to the presence of the Lord. It's a challenge. It's not easy. She carries him up to the room where Elisha slept. The room she so long before, before God had even told her, hey, you're going to have a son. The room she built for that prophet. Where she put the desk and the lampstand because she wanted him to take notes. She wanted him to hear from the Lord in that room. That's where she took her promise. So it continues, it says, then she called to her husband and said, please send me one of the servants and one of the donkeys that I may run to the man of God and return. And he said, why will you go to him today? It is neither new moon nor Sabbath. And she said, it will be well. When I preached this word years ago in the Methodist church, after the service, a man came up to me and he looked a little disgruntled and I thought he was going to joke with me or tell me something. And he was pretty upset. He said, well, maybe at a Father's Day we can bash the women. I was like, okay, I did not know I bashed any men until I, I read that part. I'm like, well, maybe he felt a little convicted because here's this prominent woman who's got the promise of God and now she's struggling. She's fighting for that promise and her husband says, hey, why are you going to go talk to the prophet? It's not the new moon. It's not the normal time you go see him and hear from the Lord. Almost as if he's unconcerned. Almost as if he's just taken it and said, you know what? Hey, what's happened? It's happened. But she tells him very plainly, it will be well. This isn't the fake faith where people come up to you and say, hey, how are you? And you're like, hey, I'm great. God is good. You stand there and you smile. You can't do that around Rusty. Rusty will start digging. He does it on the pulpit every week. He does it in the grocery store if you let him. 
He'll sit there. The presence of the Lord has a way of just kind of exposing you, bringing out all the bad stuff. And despite the circumstance, she says, it will be well. So she saddled the donkey and said to the servant, go forward, do not sow down the, the pace for me unless I tell you. So she went and came to the man of God to Mount Carmel. So Elisha's at Mount Carmel. She shows up. When the man of God saw her at a distance, he said to his servant, go, it's the Shunammite woman, meet her and ask her if it's well with her, if it's well with her husband, if it's well with her child. And she answers again, it is well. I don't think she was lying. Again, that whole, oh, I'm fine. It's good. Everything's fine. I don't know if you guys are into memes, but there's that, that comic where it's a dog and everything's on fire around him, and he's sitting at the table with a cup of coffee. He's like, it's fine. Everything's fine. That's almost this circumstance. That's kind of what it sounds like at first. Like, no, everything's fine. We're good. She's standing on the promise. It's not fake. This isn't a, uh, uh, I'm dealing with it. This is her telling the prophet or telling the servant, hey, the presence of the Lord, the promise of God is still here. It's still working. I can feel it. It's going to be okay. When she came to the man of God, she caught hold of his feet and the servant came to push her away. But the man of God say, said, let her alone for her soul is troubled within her and the Lord has hidden it from me and has not told me. So he still had no idea what was going on. Then she said, did I ask for a son from my Lord? Did I not say, do not deceive me? And I love that the Bible has this scripture in it because it shows the flesh, the humanity of it. God isn't telling you to be a robot. He's not telling you to be super angelic, to be Jesus and stand up and say, oh, you know, my son died and it'd be really good if you could help us. But, but outside of that, we're okay. She throws herself at his feet. I didn't have this need. I didn't need this promise. I don't know if you've ever been there with the Lord. God, I wanted a great job. I didn't want it in Tulia, Texas. Lord, there's, there's nothing here for 30-somethings, for single 30-somethings. It's crazy. Lord, you told me I was going to get a wife. She ain't coming here. No one comes to Tulia. She's just going to come knock on my door and be like, hey, Jesus sent me. <laughs> I had that conversation with the Lord a few times. And, of course, the spirit in good, in good spirits always like, well, couldn't I do that? And I'm like, oh, okay, Jesus. Just wanted you to listen, not fix it, but okay. So she asked him, did I not say do not deceive me? Why? Why would you bring this promise into my life if it was going to be taken from me? Then he said to his servant, gird up your loins, take my staff in your hand, and go your way. He basically says, ride, ride fast. If someone comes to talk to you, don't talk to them. If, if, you, if they're saluting, if there's any kind of cultural thing where you, you know, the process, like, hey, how are you, you know, that little Sunday moment we have, don't worry about that. Get to the kid, put my staff on his face. So, of course, you know, in this situation, you would think, all right, the mom's going to go with the servant. They're going to ride ahead, and this staff is going to do something great. The mother of the lad, verse 30, said, as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. This is the second group that the Lord wants to minister today, minister to today. 
your promise might be being warred over right now. The things God spoke to you might feel like they're getting ripped from you right now. Mothers with graduates, it's not easy. You feel like, oh, hey, Lord, you let me raise these kids for 18 years and now they're going. What am I going to do with my life? I've met some people who are really excited about that. And I'm like, all right, like, good for y'all. Good for y'all. But most moms, they struggle. Most dads struggle. My dad was always, uh, he was a, a good nurturing man, but he wasn't a very emotionally, you know, representative, emotional representative to me. It was always just like, hey, good job. When I left for college that first time, he struggled a lot. My mom said he would just sit around and watch TV and like didn't want to do anything. I'm like, what's wrong with dad? Like, tell him to just man up. <laughs> so we get in these places where the promises of God really feel like they're being taken from us. She doesn't ride with the servant. She doesn't go ahead. She doesn't say, okay, I'll meet you there, Elisha. She looks at him and she says, you're where the promise started. You're where the presence of the Lord was. I'm sticking with you. My son is back home and he's dead and I'm terrified and this, the world's crashing around me, but I'm sticking with you. So it continues. They go. Gehazi lays the staff on the lad's face. Nothing happens. So then Elisha shows up and the servant tells him, hey, he's still dead. And Elisha goes up to this room. He lays, stretches himself out over the young man, meets eye to eye, mouth to mouth, hand to hand. And he does this several times, goes up to the room, does that, comes back down, goes up, does that, comes back down. And the final time he does it, the young man sneezes seven times and comes back to life. Do not miss that moment. I promise you the Lord promises you it's in his word. Rusty talks about these promises in here that are yours all the time. Resurrection is possible. And I don't just mean in the natural. I mean those promises he's given you. Even if you took the scenic route, as I like to call it, from your calling, to get to point A to point B, and then you just kind of swerved, took some exits you shouldn't have. If you feel like maybe the Lord gave you some things in your life, and they haven't quite manifested like you thought they would. The promise of God is real. And that promise will live out because, again, the Lord is perfect. Now, the reason the whole, you know, like stretched out over him and, and you know, met eye to eye, it's, it's funny because if you know the story of Elijah, the prophet who mentored him, Elijah resurrected a young woman the same way. Same method, laid out, let the will of God work. Thursday, I asked uh, Kurt when I was getting ready for all this sermon. I said, Kurt, the only thing I need is um, I need a, a worship song. And uh, the song is It Is Well, one of my favorite songs. It's based on the hymn, It Is Well With My Soul. If you don't know the, the backstory of It Is Well With My Soul, beautiful hymn talking about how when tragedy strikes, I'm going to say it's okay. I'm going to stand on the promise of God. I'm going to stick to the presence of the Lord like that woman stuck with Elisha. And I'm going to believe and trust God. So the writer of that hymn is a, a guy named Horatio Spafford. 
He was a lawyer back in, I believe, the 1800s. And his wife and four daughters were going to go from the United States to Europe by boat. And he was going to meet them there a few weeks later. Halfway between here and Europe, the boat sank. 226 people went down with the ship, including his four daughters and his wife. A sailor who survived in a rowboat found his wife floating on a piece of driftwood, brought her in, waited nine days for another ship to come along. She managed to survive. She gets to Europe. She sends Horatio a telegram saying, all the girls are dead. What do I do now? So naturally, he gets on a boat, goes to meet his wife in Europe. And as they're crossing over the Atlantic, a sailor tells him, hey, this spot where we're at right now is, is where the other boat went down. And his, he ended up having another daughter, you know, more family later on. She says that was the moment he was inspired to write it as well with my soul. The Lord is ready to give you a promise. And the Lord is ready to fulfill and fight with you for that promise. It will be well, church. Amen. If you'll all stand with me, bow your heads. I'll dismiss us. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you, Jesus, for who you are. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for your promise, Lord, that you are with us in every season, in every moment, in the highs and in the lows. I praise you so much for who you are, Lord. I pray, Jesus, over this congregation, Lord, that your word will bear fruit, that those who are waiting on a promise, that you will show them. And those who've been given that promise, who are in the middle of a fight for it, Lord, that you will be there with them. And Lord, I declare that anything, any calling, any gift you bestowed that feels like it is dead, it is going to start coming back to life even now. Bless the mothers in this place, Father, spiritual and natural. And Lord, may they have a, a blessed and wonderful day of being celebrated. In your name we pray, amen.